Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's, I think it was referred to by both sides as the most serious charge that anybody can face in, in the Irish legal system. Mm. You are innocent until proven guilty. You can suspect somebody might be guilty. That is simply not enough to convict a person. Mm. It has to be proven beyond all reasonable doubt. You know, why did the state decide to drop a murder charge against Jonathan Dowdall, allow him to give evidence and give him this lesser charge? What went on? I'm Nicola Talent. And you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. The case against Jerry the Monk Hutch closed today with the prosecution and defence addressing the court for a final time. The state have concluded that the Monk was one of two fake gunmen who shot David Byrne, while his side say he's an innocent man and there's no evidence to prove his guilt. Today, I'm talking with Niall Donald about the two arguments and about the judges who now have to decide his fate. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. That was an incredibly long day there today in the Special Criminal Court because you've had the entire state's case condensed uh, for the closing speech into the, the, the case against Jerry Hutch and you've also had his defence uh, all in one day and what we're going to do I think for the purposes of this podcast is today we'll handle the case against and for Jerry Hutch and tomorrow we'll deal with Paul Murphy and Jason Bonney because there was a little bit of extra stuff that happened in relation to Bonney today but to not confuse matters we're going to hold off on that to discuss that till tomorrow um, and I think we'll both have a good uh, read on it all then just there's so much here that we want to try and separate it and I do think that there's no question of it but Jerry Hutch is the main man in this trial and always has been the other uh, co-defendants have been lesser lights I think as regards the interest of the public so we'll start with now you were all day in court I was only there for the late afternoon but yeah. The prosecution, how did they manage to condense those weeks and weeks and weeks of evidence and what did they have to say? Well, I mean, they, they were 
they condensed it very uh, very much actually you know yeah. sometimes with these closing speeches um, when you have a prosecution it could go on for half a day or even up to a day but in this case they were done effectively within an hour so and do you think that's because it's the judges they're, they're I, yeah I think that's the judges I don't think they have to they have to explain like normally when in these situations people are explaining beyond a reasonable doubt that type of stuff just uh, you know what the significance of a piece of evidence is compared with something else so all of that is kind of skipped through um, they probably don't also have to remind the judges because they're aware that the judges are going to go through each morsel of evidence and each piece of paper they've been handed, each map and everything. So they don't have to kind of, you know, remind them, by the way, you heard that five weeks ago or whatever. So they're basically trying to condense their case um, and including extra bits in particular that we haven't heard. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the one standout point was when they, the prosecution said clearly and unequivocally that Jerry Hutch was one of the three, the three men dressed, uh, disguised as armed guardie. Obviously in the Regency, you'll remember there was, there was three, three people burst in uh, carrying AK-47s dressed as guardie with balaclavas over their face. And they said that Jerry Hutch, not only did he say there was one of the three men, but he said it, he was one of the two men that actively shot uh, David Byrne. There was two two men with AK-47s. They didn't specify who he was in particular in their opinion, but he, he said he was one of the two men that were actually involved in the physical shooting of, of, of David Byrne, as opposed to kind of a joint enterprise case, which would be, you know, where somebody could have been the driver or, or something like that. Although that's been... Uh, said by Jonathan Dowdle mm. in his statement. I think that was the first time the sort of state gave that very specific information. Can I ask you something? Mm. Do you find that surprising? I kind of did because it, it sort of came out of nowhere, did it? Um, I find it really, I mean, I suppose going back to all the years, it feels like forever that the Regency happened. And, you know, in the end of the day, journalists do get bits of information from all sorts of different places, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. That's what our job is. But, I mean, I had never heard that. No, I mean... That I... Jerry Hutch was believed to have had such an active role. I had never heard that he was suspected of that. Yeah, I mean... I'd I... heard other names. No, other names. And, I mean, names are gone from the second it happened. Names are going around. Um, uh, but Jerry's role was probably kind of the least uh, rumoured if you know what I mean it yeah. was, it was, there was a, and there was a lot of talk about what he did and didn't do or was there or wasn't there so I thought it was quite surprising because um, you know that that it, it, it just it just wasn't expected I think to be brought up like that um, but by us like I suppose we don't know it all no anyway, but, he's, but he said I mean they said unequivocally Jerry Hutch is one of the two men disguised uh, who who discharged a firearm at David Byrne and, and killed him. And the, their case was, you know, it was brought stage by stage, you know, that this was a murder. There was no doubt that the natural consequence, as, as they describe it, the rational and, and natural consequence of shooting somebody is a murder, that you can't discharge a firearm without, you know, um, you know, without killing somebody. Yeah. Um, then they had other... Uh, probably bits that then also like which we're not going to go into Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy but yeah. they were all weaved in together in the one closing submission by the state and Fiona Murphy senior counsel was the um, gave this closing speech she has been working alongside Sean Galan uh, all the way through um, and she she basically uh, 
spoke about not only that the the, the guardy or sorry that the state believes that that um, the monk basically was one of those shooters, but also that he confessed. That's part of the key. To yeah. Their so there, there was, a, I suppose, then to summarise, there's there's a few key bits. They 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 made the case that this or this murder was carried out by a criminal organisation. Um, they refer back to the evidence given by uh, Detective Gallagher, yeah. saying that that was proven, that that was admissible evidence. He, he's, uh, he's entitled to give that evidence under the Constitution. Then the rest, the other bits of the case were the bits that are well known to us at this stage and everybody mm. who listens, which is that Jonathan Dowdle's evidence and the audio. So that's the bulk of the case against Jerry Hutch. There was obviously other evidence regarding CCTV, uh, about the other two guys, but with with Jerry Hutch, what they're relying on to convict them are those matters. So the two bits, the the, the two bits that Jonathan Dowdall has given the evidence about her, who has has claimed, which is that he met him in the Whitehall Park where he confessed and said I was one of the shooters, and the second bit that he handed him the key card from the Regency Hotel. So. Does the state at any point during the closing say that Jonathan Dowdall is to be believed? Do they address the fact that he has this robust criminal record, has been involved in the kidnapping and torturing of an individual? Do they ever, do, do they, they say anything in relation to his evidence, which, you know, especially under cross-examination was difficult to listen to and wasn't very clear or straight? Well, they get in, they get, they get in ahead of, the defence, I suppose, about Jonathan Dowdle. And what they say is that, you know, um, they say that Jonathan Dowdle has come in to give evidence, he's given it an open court, and that they can, they, they say it's a matter for the court to assess his credibility effectively. But what they do say is that just because um, he is, like they, they address very directly his criminal conviction, mm-hmm. they say he was involved in a disgusting crime, they address his, his friendship with Pierce Macaulay, who they describe as a thug, um, and they they address all of those matters. So what they do say is the account given by Jonathan Dowdle holds water and is credible with the independently verifiable evidence. And what they're talking about that is the independently verifiable evidence is, for example, Jonathan Dowdle gives an account, which we know well at this stage, that that he, him and his father received the key card for the Regency off, off Jerry Hutch. Mm. And they say that can be independently verified. There's verification for that in that that you they know, gave that, it to Jerry Hutch. Well, that, that key card was ultimately used. And they're also saying that there's other independent verification for things like um, the cell tower. Some of the cell tower evidence is consistent with the rest of his evidence. Mm. So they're basically saying, as opposed to that there's independently verified evidence that they handed that key card to Jerry Hutch, there's independently verified evidence that the sort of the larger story around that, that the key card was yeah, used by What they're saying is that, yeah, that, that you're not fully relying solely on, on a Jonathan Dowdle to believe Jonathan Dowdle or not. They're saying there is some independent verification for some of it um, and that also that just because Jonathan Dowdle, you know, is, is what he is, he's done what he's done, yeah. it doesn't mean that he's not telling the truth. And what independent verified evidence do they give for, say, for example, the, the meeting in Whitehall because nobody else saw that there was no other witness for that 
there's a little bit of, you know, while the days are confused and the times are confused, there's a little bit of cell tower evidence that he may have been in the location at some point over a 48-hour period. Uh, but there is nobody that saw them or there's no... Is there? No, there's nobody who saw them. Um, and and like- the same with the handing over of the key, uh, the key card on the Richmond Road, even though he says that and he says his father was with him the father wasn't called to give evidence to verify it and there's no other witness that saw Jerry Hutch there and there's no phones belonging to Jerry Hutch pinging anywhere yeah well I mean so they're kind of saying around those two bits of evidence that there is verified well they're saying I mean there's 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 evidence of of John of is it John Tendell's phone or his father's phone on Richmond Road at the time he specifies Mm -hmm. The defence obviously subsequently would go on and say that that Jonathan Dowdle had a book of evidence that he could have he could have uh, cross checked basically and come up with this, but they say that the the defence made the point that Jonathan Dowdle is not some master criminal, not some master manipulator, and that you know that the cell evidence is consistent with which you know what he has said. Um, okay. So I mean, it's not it's it's so there isn't a really. Well, I mean, they're making the case, I suppose, that that they're they're you know it's up to the court to assess his evidence. And it's what we've heard, you know what I mean? It's not as if these closing speeches have any new evidence other than the suggestion that Jerry Hutch was one of the gunmen, basically. Like it's we've heard all this anyway, but it's when you kind of put it together that you go, okay, three key pieces of evidence. Two of them are coming from from Dowdall. While the state are saying they're independently verified, they're... Well, what they're saying is they can be tested to give credibility. I mean, that yeah. is actually what they said and say that there are... Like, obviously, Kevin Murray ended up uh, with a key card, mm-hmm. um, you know, and somehow that key card got from... We, we know that, that it was collected by Patrick Dowdle mm. and that we know for a fact that that subsequently ended up with, with Kevin Murray. So that, that for this... That little bit of the, so the this, story. So that's what the state are saying. Yeah. That there is, there is a, there is. It's an independently. There is. It's not coming out of nowhere. And it, you know, mm. so they're, they're, they are saying with Jonathan Dowdle that that you know he's not necessarily a sympathetic witness. I don't <laughs> that he has been involved in 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 a disgusting crime, but that doesn't mean that he's telling untruths and that you know he's gone in. He's given evidence under, you know, we were all there. It's mm. trying circumstances, and that that, you know, it it, it 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 you know it is what it is, and that that that's the way it goes. Like that 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 people. I suppose there's only so much they can say about that. It's going to be up to the court whether they believe Jonathan Dowdall or whether they don't believe him, right? Because yeah. Because there isn't ultimately, no matter what they say, ten other people that have stood up there and said, I heard that too, or I saw that too. Yeah. There isn't witnesses there that saw it. No, I mean, they say, say, for example, with the key card, they say, well, that wasn't the most direct route to Jonathan Dowdle's home, so we, for for whatever reason, they're saying, it it is, there is an independent verification, no reason to go to Richmond Road, it's not in his direct route home, so he obviously went there for some reason. Yeah. And we know subsequently the card, you know, ended up in his hand, so all of that kind of puts it together as a kind of, um, you know. More importantly, maybe, what have they got to say about the audio, because they were going to, uh, they had charged both Jonathan Dowdall and Jerry Hutch with essentially this audio. Um, which the defence will say, and um, I'll come on to that, but that uh, actually uh, Jonathan Dowdall is more damaged than, by this audio than Jerry Hutch is, and he had more to worry about by it being played in, in open court. But what have they to say, what have the state to say about the audio? Because surely, in a way, that is their more robust piece of evidence. 
so what they're saying basically about the audio is like it was an unusual actually I have to say what they're saying is they're 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 they go through various bits of it that we've gone through before mm. and what they said is there's there's they they pull out various bits of it and they saying this audio shows that that Jerry Hutch has has knowledge of the weapons in particular so they focused on that in particular which is these three oaks that we've heard about mm-hmm. They they uh, say this refers to the AK-47s used in the Regency. Even the defence said, well, we don't necessarily accept that, but we're not going to challenge that directly. And what they're saying really is that you can see that Jerry Hutch has control of these weapons, that he is uh, the person in, in charge of them. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to their evidence of the criminal gang. So this goes back to, they say the audio also gives an independent verification. Um, in 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 the context of their travelling up to up to the north. So what they say is they have this meeting and then they travel up to the north. Basically, that the meeting was, you know, the the, the meet in the park was for a reason. Yes. And then the kind of the follow up to that reason is they actually physically do travel up to the north, um, where they're they don't realise it, but they're being bugged, and ten hours their conversation is listened to. Um, and yes, the first thing the state will say there is that it's clear that one person's in charge of the guns, and that's Jerry yeah, Hutch. and that's Jerry Hutch, and that he that he makes the decisions. He is not contradicted by Jonathan Dowdle when he's when he says that these are going to go to the north, and that this shows that he he is the the the, the driving force, I suppose. And he they they quoted. Um, Jonathan Dowdall saying the best thing you did, the best thing that happened was the particular yokes you used that made a massive statement. That was when Jonathan Dowdall was saying to Hutch about the nature of the weapons that were used in the Regency. And Jerry Hutch says a massive statement. Now, the defence, and again, we'll come on to it, will come back on a number of items about, yeah. well, pretty much about everything. But one thing they also say is they point out is clearly that, that Jerry Hutch has a hearing difficulty and regularly he sort of says, what are agrees to things that Dowdall is saying, not in relation maybe to that, but other things that, you know, it's clear that he's not hearing him properly. Um, so it, Fiona Murphy also said, I think that, uh, actually pretty much that's what Fiona Murphy said. Well, it? no, there, I mean, there was plenty of other, like, you know, I suppose she, she comes back to Jonathan Dowdall. So she's saying basically that it's clear from the audio that Jerry Hutch has knowledge and control of the firearms and that shows beyond a reasonable doubt he's one of the three men dressed in tactical gear who it, shot David Byrne. Well, exactly. And so they and have, again, no other evidence that he's... They've no forensic evidence that he's one of the three men who shot David Byrne. They have no forensic evidence, but they have what they say is an overall case where you put things together. And they say that Jonathan Dowdall's evidence, you know... it. it should be considered by the state and they also give give an explanation for some of of the um you know some of the the, the things that 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 are being criticized that in ways in which he's been criticized they say he was under a constant state of fear there was threats against his life um you know that he gave evidence for a total of eight days and that you know he he was not they question whether you know, the defence have described him as being evasive, but they say that he didn't, he wasn't aggressive, he wasn't angry, that he answered all the questions, and the, how, the height of the emotion he showed was frustration. Um, he never refused to an- answer anything at all. It's been suggested that he was lying, but, you know, that, 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 that 
you know, some of his, some of what he says can be. He certainly never refused footage. to answer anything. <laughs> no, Other no. than the odd time, he sort of went, mm, yeah, no. Yeah. But um, anyway, so that. And they that also said the defence, the the, the 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 cross examination. Some of that was to embarrass and and shame Mr. Dowdle, but that he stuck with his basically that he stuck with his story, his general story through that through all that, even though he sort of meandered around a bit. Well, he did. He did meander around. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's. Uh, no, there's no question of that. Also, you know, another key bit that both the defence and the prosecution came back to was the Sunday World photo and Jonathan Ev- Dowdle's evidence about the meeting in Whitehall and basically a long, long discussions about the time and the date. So, Jonathan so it was either Dowdle, a Sunday or a Monday, that meeting, and he can't yes. work out when. Well, initially, he obviously gave a clear statement saying, um, I think it was initially, he said it was a Sunday, yeah, did he? Yeah, he did, yeah. And then... Over during the course of the trial, he said, "Well, it could have been Monday." And he initially, he said it was Sunday morning, sometime around 11, half eleven, I think. Mm. Um, so, you know, and obviously, the issue with the Sunday World photograph is Jonathan Dowdle also said in his statement, "I recognise Patrick Hutch, yeah, Junior from that photograph because I know him all, all my life." But obviously, that photograph was pixelated. So there was some discussion. And the Sunday World was produced to the judges to show how pixelated that photograph was during the course of the trial. I was in court that day. Um, there was obviously, you know, that was obviously made it look as if Dowdall, surely, how could he possibly? Yes, exactly. How could he possibly recognise him? But the prosecution have sort of said, well, you know, he, that, could, he could have recognised him in the aftermath. Well, exactly. And what they're saying is that, you know, over time, you know, it, it happened... He gave it. He gave his statement, uh, you know, six months ago or whatever. Yeah. So that's six and a half years subsequent to the event. Is that right? Six and a half years. I'm mean, yeah, wrong, but probably. <laughs> but anyway, sure. I mean, you're talking to me, of, so you can be as wrong as you want, right, and I right, go, right. yeah, that's correct. So they're they're saying that that you know, obviously, he, he could have got things wrong, but that's the way witnesses are. Effectively, mm. to paraphrase them, that it's you know, it doesn't mean that that. Um, so, Niall, in a nutshell, right, yeah. they're saying that he's made these two claims about Whitehall Park, where Jerry Hutch admitted he was a gunman, and about the handing over of the key card to Jerry Hutch yeah. on the Richmond Road. They're saying that there's backup evidence there, which is the general things around those yes. items of... Yes, and that... Were so, up. I suppose they're saying it was carried out by a criminal gang. We can all sort of accept that. And that Jerry Hutch clearly knows about the weapons. They say there's no doubt about who's in who's the authority between Jonathan Dowdle and Jerry Hutch when they're discussing the weapons, and that it's Jerry Hutch's decision to make what happens with the weapons, and that when he, they discuss the Regency Hotel, they accept he doesn't unambiguously say, you know, I done it, but mm-hmm. they do say that he it's a tactic tactic yeah. session uh, yeah. or admission, which is. Is that it? Well, I don't know how to spell it, but I'm not sure how to pronounce Google it. it. Google it there, can you? Oh, you can't. No. you're using your... I mean, we're just so high-tech here that we're in, in the, the dark. In, in the car. With the phone line. But basically you're what it means is... your phone as your torch so as you can read your notes. So I don't want any criticism from anybody no, no, about no, the stuttering no. and the... And then my also my incompetent writing. Basically, no. tactic. Let's just call it tacit obsession. Tacits. So what it means is that he's not admitting, he's not, there's not no ambiguous, yeah, I shot him, you know, but what they're saying is that by, you know, it's a normal, it's a conversation between two people that don't know they're being bugged and that by not contradicting some some parts of it, Jerry Hutch is accepting that that he, he 
was involved in the Regency and that Jerry Hutch has knowledge and control of the firearms and um, that, that, that all amounts, when you put it all together, mm. that that amounts... So you need it all together. The audio on its own wasn't enough then, yeah, and in it other all, words. No, Is that what not, the yes, state but are every, saying? Yeah, the state are saying every little bit adds up mm. to a jigsaw puzzle that shows beyond all reasonable doubt that he is one of the three men but, dressed you know, and could and carry out the murder. And they're saying that clearly, beyond a reasonable doubt, that's it. Let's peel that back a little bit before we move on to the defence. So what the judges are being asked to accept is that the two pieces of evidence given by Jonathan Dowdall, uncorroborated by anybody else, should be believed because the general narrative around them happened. Well, In other words, the Regency hotel attack happened. And yeah, well, that, that, that piece of evidence, those two chinks of evidence about those two meetings he had with Jerry Hutch happened within this yeah. overall. Yeah, that, that some of it can be verified that Jonathan Dowdle has come and give evidence that you can't just dismiss it because he has criminal convictions, that he's, you mm-hmm. know, that he, he, they've also queried whether, you know, he did, he had a, you know, a motivation to, to lie. They're saying it was the, 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 the murder charge that was ultimately dropped against him. It cannot be reasonably said that that was done as a deal. They've, they the said that. The Well, they're saying that there is no connection. I mean, okay. that, that is what they're saying. There's no connection between between um, him choosing to give evidence and, and he had his reasons for not giving evidence as well. Right, that he was, okay. That he was stuck in, the, in, a, in a prison cell or a prison wing with Jerry Hutch and other members of the Hutch gang. And when he had the opportunity, when he got out on bail, he came forward, he gave evidence, mm-hmm. he's come into court, he's defended it, that, you know, and, and that it, it should be given some credibility. And okay. it's up to the state to assess the, the, the you know, the, the issues around Jonathan Dowdle. the judges to assess that. And right? then they're saying, so after that then they're saying, the tapes clearly show Jerry Hutch has knowledge of, of things going on in the Regency, control of the weapons that were used in the Regency, that's mm-hmm. beyond dispute. And that, that's the basic case. Okay. So the defence, I wasn't there for the beginning of it, but I came in for, uh, is he telling the truth on the audio about the bomb making? This is regarding <laughs> Jonathan Dowdall, who's yeah. pretty powerful. Look, I have it in capitals as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I came in when they were onto the audio. So presumably... Uh, Brendan Grahan had addressed these two meetings we're talking about that the, the uh, judges are asked to accept. The state are saying an innocent man wouldn't just allow the mm-hmm. conversation to go on that way. So Brendan Grahan initially went at that. Right. I mean, that was his first point of, of, of attack, if you want. Um, that he says you can't find any unambiguous admission to involvement in the Regency in the eight hours or ten hours of conversation. There's lots of references to the AK-47. At one point, the state did say you, you, you can see him in close proximity to the weapons. They described how Jerry Hutch at another point in the in the tape said he would, you know, if he was doing, if he was planning a, a yeah. shooting, he wouldn't ever have the weapons in his possession. And they, say, they said this is exactly what happened. And Brendan Graham went straight in to say, you know, it may or may not, that there, there may or may not be evidence about Jerry Hutch and firearms, but that's not enough to convict him of murder. That he's on trial for murder, he's not on trial for weapons offences, he's not on trial for firearms offences, and this, if the state had wanted him to be 
charged with that. They should have brought those charges. And that he said, he actually said that they're, they're you know, he's not going to go through beyond a reasonable doubt and, you know, innocent until proven guilty. Though he did go into it a bit and he said that the court, which in this case acts as a jury, should um, be aware of the fact that that he can only be he can only be convicted of the charges brought against them. Yeah, and yeah. that 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 was. And he talks about that, and briefly he he talked about that he was uh, going up to the north on the invite. He says of Jonathan Dowdall to meet these paramilitaries on the basis that his family had come under attack, and he was the one who was talking peace. And he says in the audio, Jonathan Dowdall, he calls him a hawk at one point. In other words, he's the guy who's trying to drum up. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's drawing a distinction. He's he's obviously gone on to the tapes and he's saying, well, look, if, you, if you're looking at the, if you're listening to the tapes, it's Jonathan Dowdle is more hawkish. Mm-hmm. Jerry Hutch is more, far, far less. He describes Hutch, he, like, and again, this is Hutch's defence. He says um, that Hutch is going up in a big brother role to the north. He's going up as the guarantor for the extended Hutch family to meet these dissidents you know, in order to try and bring a peace. And, uh, yeah, he doesn't deny that he is sort of involved in, in the weapons, essentially. But, no, well, he, yeah, he doesn't, he, say, doesn't, he sort of says, he, he sort of says, well, you know, we're not accepting that he was involved in the weapons. However, he says, he said, well, but newsflash, Mr. Hutch is not charged with any firearms offence. Yeah. So what he, what he does say is, he, he says, all roads lead back to Jonathan Dowdle who he calls a master manipulator and who he says whose goal became at, at, after he was charged with the murder. How can I get these charges dropped? Now, when you go back over that sort of uh, timeline to what happened when Jonathan Dowdall is charged with the murder, yeah. when he is given bail, he's the only one charged in relation to the Regency that gets bail. He's a guy who's just finished a sentence on a serious uh, conviction regarding... Uh, you know, waterboarding, waterboarding yeah, yeah. and who is now charged with a gangland murder and he gets bail. They're saying, he, the defence are saying he got bail so as he could meet with police. He meets with the police and he, he uh, is very much the manipulator, he says. He's the one who's sort of in charge and he's calling the shots with the police. Um, the way that we spoke about before, how when he first went to them, they forgot to get back to him after the six yeah. weeks. Like, Graham is sort of saying... Like, yeah, they, he, well, he says he says openly at one point that they didn't, they weren't getting back to him because they, they didn't you know, in them. his opinion, they yeah. weren't convinced of it. And he 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 really focused in on Jonathan Dowdle, and and the reason he did is, he says the state tried to play down Jonathan Dowdle's evidence, and one can see why, because he is saying that the case stands or falls on Jonathan Dowdle's evidence, mm. um, and so therefore. And he's saying that Jonathan Dowdall, you know, went in to give evidence that... Well, first of all, let's just go back a little minute to that business of how he he got the charge dropped and everything. Because he talks about he met the guards, uh, you know, nothing happened. He went back to where a solicitor got in touch with them. There was another meeting uh, where he brought along a 42-page statement. His wife read it out. He initialed it. He didn't sign it. And then there's a conversation between his solicitor and the then... 
Senior Investigating Officer, Detective Superintendent Paul Scott. Yeah. And Scott suggests to the solicitor that she sort of needs to put in writing what they want. So once she does put in writing what they want, it's that she wants the murder charge dropped and she wants him a null prosecute entered on that. The DPP initially comes back and says, no, we're not dropping that murder charge. That no. was in the September. But two weeks later, there's a complete about turn and they drop the murder charge. They say they'll enter the null prosecui. They'll accept the uh, guilty plea on the lesser charge, um, the, the facilitating murder. And he is signed up basically as a state witness. Yeah. So what I think Grehan was saying, and maybe something that might, when all this case is over and there's judgment and, you know, we've, we've moved on from it a little bit, you know, if there was anything whizzical that hasn't been answered and yeah. that no evidence was given towards us. What did happen there? You know, why did the state decide to drop a murder charge against Jonathan Dowdall, allow him to give evidence and give him this lesser charge? What went on? Because we haven't been privy, even in a court of law, to what went on. Who did the DPP converse with within that two-week period where the charge is firstly refused to be dropped and then is dropped? There's no evidence, and I don't think anyone ever has no, to answer. No, I mean, I think the DPP, like, you know, the Director of Public Prosecutions, it is uh, a body that, by its own, by the way it's set up, it doesn't have to answer to anybody why they pro- charge or why they don't charge. We never hear. The media can ask, ask questions all day. Solicitors can ask questions all day. You never hear it. I mean, the only time we've ever heard of the internal workings of the DPP have been... In, in sort of tribunals of inquiry yeah. established by the Oroctus. So we can never uh, know, there, there is no what way happened. to penetrate. But the fact of the matter is something happened. There was a huge about turn there and mm. Graham has kind of suggested that well, he's, yeah, he's, certain Gardaí must have been in contact and made a case. But he's suggesting that very clearly. But the state were saying, well, John Tindell came forward and made a statement and then there's an assessment that... that you know, the evidence is not there to prosecute him for murder. The evidence is there to prosecute him for the facilitation charge, which he was done for. So the state are making a different kind of case and that there's no quid pro quo can be seen and it doesn't It doesn't happen. So basically, if he hadn't come forward with this suggestion that the murder charge be dropped and that he plead guilty to the lesser charge, the murder charge would have been dropped against both of them. Because it was the same evidence for both him and Jerry Hutch. Well, I suppose... Yeah, I so mean, if we're saying that the DPP made the decision that there wasn't enough evidence to charge well, Jonathan Dowdall, having heard the audio and we sat through it. Well, they also have a statement from Jonathan Dowdall, you know? Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like, Yeah, like I suppose what, what, what so. Yeah, DPP I suppose is, so. What we're saying here is that the state are saying in this case that there was nothing happened on behind the scenes that the D- the DPP just decided to drop the murder charges because there probably wasn't enough evidence, right? Yes. So there was charges against him and uh, Hutch were identical. Yes. And, and Jonathan it was just Dowdle, the audio they had. So we've heard the audio yeah. and Jonathan Dowdle does all the talking. Yeah, and Jonathan Dowdle does seek, does accept that he sought to, to, to do a deal effectively mm. to have the charge dropped. So I mean, the charge that, remains with Hutch because they have Dowdle. They have Dowdle. Along with the audio. Yeah, and they have an explanation. Somebody on the record willing mm. to go to court to say, well, this is what Jerry Hutch told me and I didn't know this and, you know, not to go back into it all. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's the case. Look, mm. you know, it's... 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 it's um, yeah, look, it'll be... Uh, it'll be... 
up to the judges now. I mean, we can't really... They've no forensics, they've no phone evidence, and he... Grehan said that there's no evidence, the state has no evidence that Hutch was even in the country on the day of the Regency Hotel. No, I mean, they they look, they clearly don't have... have have the normal, maybe not the normal things, but a lot of the things that you see before a court when, when in gangland murder trials in particular, every single one of them in recent times, they've relied on probably uh, forensic evidence for mm. the most part and CCTV of people caught on camera or at least in, in, a, in or around, you know, if you think yeah, of... Before the murder. Yeah, if you think yeah. of Fat Freddy Thompson yeah. or these trials, but you don't have that with Jerry Hutch. You don't have that. He now, says, Graham says the audio is commentary of, wh- of what is already in the public domain. You know, they're commenting on stuff that's already been in the media because this is weeks after the Regency. He says there's no ironclad admission by Jerry Hutch in this audio that this case that the state have against him is is is... Yeah, I mean, it comes. To, some of it is going to come down again to the, the use of the word "use." Are you? Mm. What does that refer to? You know, so that's that's the type of thing that we're actually getting to. You know, um, he says that the the it cannot be found without reasonable doubt that Jerry Hutch is guilty of murder, and that's how he kind of you know, in a way, he says the prosecution sought to ride two horses, yes. which was the. Well, they sought to to ride two horses and marry them, and at, married the them at the so, end. So I mean, there's, he's saying there's two pieces of. Incomplete evidence, yeah. which is the, the 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 confession, the alleged confession, and the the, the audio tapes. Yes, and that, but neither of those things are a full enough to warrant a conviction. And what they're trying to do is put together two halves that don't match. And he says, what happened is they've fallen between the two, between and they the have not horses. made a case that the no. court could be satisfied and of that, guilt. And that in order to convict Jerry Hutch, they're saying he's saying mm. it all roads lead back to Jonathan Dowdle, and in order to convict him. You have to accept that Jonathan Dowdle is not a mass, uh, a manipulator. He's not a hawk. He's not a liar, and he's not all these other well, things. Well, I don't know. I don't know if this Brian has accused him of all those in the closing speech. Absolutely, but the state are saying, well, you can accept that Jonathan Dowdle is far from a perfect person. In fact, he's a man guilty of a disgusting crime. Mm. But that doesn't mean you should write off his evidence. Um, that there is enough verification to give weight to his to his evidence. And of and course, the onus of the proof is on the state. It's them that has to prove it. Well, it is one hundred percent. You know, I, I mean, know. this is this is a murder charge. It's I think it was referred to by both sides as the most serious charge that anybody can face in in Irish in the Irish legal system. Mm. You are innocent until proven guilty, um, and that the reasonable doubt case means that you know you can you can suspect somebody might be guilty but that is simply not enough to convict the person mm. it has to be proven beyond all reasonable doubt that it is that it is a guilty verdict so it's it's well what did you you know what's what did you think like, I, I mean it was heavy going there today for anybody reporting on it and you know for anybody listening to it it's probably kind of less so because they're kind of been reminded of the pieces of evidence and the kind of the key pieces um so I was watching the three judges and they each are taking it in in different ways, just, uh, you know, from their body language. So Justice Tara Burns, who is the, the lead judge on it, she sits in the middle. She is watching 
certainly Brendan Grehan and presumably previously Fiona Murphy, senior counsels, as they're giving their closing speeches. She's watching them intently. Uh, for somebody who is actually, she's got quite a lot of character in her face and she yeah. does have a habit of showing expressions, you know, of surprise and everything else. She's not doing that. She's very much listening intently and taking on board everything that's been said. Um, just as Sarah Berkeley sits with her head slightly bowed, uh, looking at a point in the room. But just when you think, is she in a stare, she'll, she'll glance yeah. back at uh, whoever's doing the talking, be it Fiona Murphy earlier this morning and Brendan Grehan later this afternoon. And she constantly darts her eyes towards them, sometimes taking out a notebook and taking a bit of a, uh, yeah. a note. And Justice Gronia Malone does a bit of both, actually. She is, she has her notebook out. She is looking up. She's looking down. She's, you know, all three are absolutely hanging on every word. Yeah, they're they're very, um, it, it's kind of very a... Very attentive. A, yeah, and it's kind of a... It, it, they're, they're quite different than some of the older male judges that yeah. I used to go. It's just, it, it has a different feel, I think. They're very... Um, and they, they've powered through the case, you they know have, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think um, it's funny when you get down to the real, the nitty-gritty, mm. the very last moments, how, how it's only going to... The, the conviction or the non-conviction is going to hang on really, really quite small bits of evidence. And as I said, they all discuss yous or you yeah, or yeah, what does, yeah. you know, which is funny that it, it comes down to these things that, you know, it's going to be a big case. The result is going to matter either way, I think. It's going to matter big time and it's going to matter for every reason because of the nature of what happened, the, you know, the significance of the, the murder of David Byrne, which was happened within you know, the moment when the Kinahan cartel are attacked and there's an attempt uh, to, to remove Daniel Kinahan as the head of that, which which fails. Um, and also really for the Special Criminal Court. For I mean, sp- eyes are on the Special Criminal Court here because this is a court that, that both Jerry Hutch and Jonathan Dowdall, when charged with murder, uh, made an application for their case to go before a jury and it was refused. The Special Criminal Court can come under some criticism that it's a bit of a kangaroo court etc um, this is going to be a yeah, I big think it matters for yeah for the policing for yeah for the policing and the justice system and and you know it's it's it, you know you sit in the court and people are everybody asks you what way is it going to go yeah. and that's not always the case with these courts because sometimes mm. people just know um so but, uh, yeah it's definitely it's something that um you know i think the minute this verdict is handed down, uh, people, yeah, observers to, will yeah, and I mean know, it's, it's un- will feel whether it's the right yeah. or wrong one. And we've we've learned a lot more about policing, and you have to say when you listen to the the the, the evidence, the CCTV evidence, just the level of groundwork gone in by yeah. the, by the the police on the ground and the investigating teams, phenomenal. Um, and but interesting then, stuff around that as well. That you know, I've been particularly attentive to maybe in the early days and haven't kind of gone back to it but it's that whole structure of the Garda Síochána and how you have an investigating team investigating a murder and there are other elements of the Garda working completely independently and keeping them in the dark and that being you know the crime and and security element of the Garda who appear to be working on a level that they don't believe they need to share information and it's caused problems within this case. Oh yeah, even in in, in, in Mr. Grehan's uh, closing speech, he, he referred to the fact that 
this this the case wasn't brought quicker, if you know what I mean, yeah. as being some as a as something that should be considered by the court as mm. as as proof of you know of of something anyway, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting and. Uh, yeah, we go back. We'll go back to the. Um, we'll do Bonnie and Murphy tomorrow when we can uh, concentrate on them because it really is difficult. And I just want to say, particularly this evening, thank you, Ian, because there's a good bit of editing that Ian has done there. It's, it's, he doesn't ever like being called out, but um, it's very difficult to come out of a court case with a notebook full of notes uh, written in shorthand, jumping from one subject to the other, and to try and then talk in, you know, a logical and coherent sense sense in the immediate aftermath of it. And that's really what we're trying to do on the podcast. And um, hopefully we've made some sense of that today, what the the two cases are for and against Jerry Hutch. And uh, he's closed off now. He's back in court tomorrow, but he's done and dusted. He's done and dusted. So the whole everything is over tomorrow and then it'll be the waiting game. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, I'm be, I'm in tomorrow, so we we will reconvene. Thanks, Nicola. Okay. Thank you. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from SundayWorld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review, or why not download the free SundayWorld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.